Well, good morning, everybody. Was there some big event last night that I missed? I was in prayer and supplication all evening. I don't preparing for this morning. <laughs> okay, um, so it, it is World Series season, um, but uh, and what that means, you know, is that in a few short weeks. Uh, we're going to be entering the 2016 holiday season. And man, I got to tell you, I, I don't know where the summer went, let alone the fall. Uh, but before we know it, Thanksgiving and Christmas will be here with uh, 2017 soon to follow. So a couple months ago, as the staff was looking forward and we were doing some holiday planning, we were discussing you know, how, how busy and chaotic and, and, and stressful and anxiety-producing the months of November and December can be for everybody. And we started wondering, you know, what, what could we talk about? What, what could we do uh, to help prepare ourselves and others for the holiday onslaught? You know, rather than succumbing to the, the usual stress of the season, how can we find a greater sense of peace uh, and balance in our lives. Instead of rushing you know, through and missing the joy of, all, uh, joy of it all, how can we, how can we rest and, and be truly present uh, in the moment for our family and for our friends? Well, that's a pretty big question, you know, considering the nature of our culture. Uh, back in March of this year, Time Magazine published an article titled, Americans Are Getting More Stressed Out. And the article shares results of a study conducted by the American Psychological Association, which uh, uh, found that average stress levels in the U.S. are on the, on the rise, uh, with a, nearly a quarter of Americans saying they experience extreme stress during the holidays. Uh, seasonal stati statistics play that out. Uh, they indicate that up to 70% of people are stressed out by feeling they lack enough time to get done what they want to get done. 69% are stressed by what they perceive as a lack of money. 40% uh, of people are worried about accruing more debt. 51% admit to being stressed over the whole gift shopping, gift giving, gift receiving tradition. Experts warn that symptoms of stress include headaches, sleep disturbances, fatigue, uh, difficulty concentrating, short temper, angry outbursts, upset stomach, aching muscles, lower back pain, loss of appetite, and then get this, according to a survey reported by NBC News, 45% of Americans say they'd prefer to skip Christmas altogether. <laughs> and with the media then bombarding us with images of, of happy, smiley people enjoying the holiday festivities and everyone on Facebook looking like they're having a better time than we are, you know, most of us are left with what? We're left with our own, the reality of our own lives. Long work hours, strained relationships, uh, financial challenges, tense family dynamics, along with the pressure to, um, to please everybody and have a perfect holiday. It just pushes some of us to the, to the edge of, and to the brink of exhaustion, uh, if not insanity. In her book titled Present Over Perfect, author Shauna Nyquist writes about her, her own experience with all this holiday stress, and she says, my desire for beautiful, sparkly Christmas moments was edging out my ability to live well in my own actual life. And I recognized this feeling as one I'd grappled with all my life. I want things to be spectacular, epic, over-the-top, exciting, and dramatic. But in order to force that beauty and drama into otherwise ordinary moments, you have to push and tap dance and hustle, hustle, hustle. I was faced with a dilemma, one many of us face. I could either wrestle my life and my kids and my house and our Christmas into something fantastic, something perfect, 
Or I could plunk myself down right in the middle of the mess and realize that the mess is actually my life. The only one I'll ever get. The one I'm in danger of missing completely, waiting around for the fantastic. That Christmas, I chose to be present over perfect, and that's still what I choose today. Now listen, none of us are perfect, obviously, and none of us are immune to anxiety and stress. Married, single, makes no difference. Uh, if you're a college student, it makes no difference. Studies show college students are reporting record levels of stress. I mean, like it or not, stress is a part of the human experience. It's often defined as mental, emotional, or physical tension, strain, or anguish. And as some of us know too well, if not dealt with appropriately, it can have devastating effects. And just for the record, you know, this isn't, this isn't merely a 21st century problem. It's been an issue for a long time. I mean, all the way back to the dawn of humanity when man and woman rebelled against their creator, tension was introduced into the relational world, into the relationship between human beings and their environment, into the, into the relationship with human beings to other human beings, into the relationship, their relationship with God. And ever since, tension, fear, anxiety, stress have all been unwelcomed and yet constant companions of ours. Even, even among God's people, it's true. Even among some of God's greatest leaders, it's true. I was recently reading in the Old Testament about when Joshua you know, faced the challenges of leading the nation of Israel into the land of promise, a land inhabited by brutally violent tribes of people, noted for their ferocity. You talk about a threatening, uh, frightful situation for jo Joshua and the Israelites. Life was about to get pretty chaotic and stressful, to say the least. And yet as they prepared to enter the land, Joshua reminded everyone of this, this promise. He said, remember what, the Lord, or remember what Moses, the servant of the Lord, said to you. He said, the Lord God is giving you rest and has granted you this land. Here is my question to that. In the face of terrifying uncertainties and unavoidable conflict and the stress associated with it, how could there be any rest? How is that going to be possible? Now, I don't, I don't think any of us have plans to conquer a nearby landmass, you know, populated by violent tribal people. You know, northern Glen Ellen isn't going to attack southern Glen Ellen or anything like that. So in, in, com in comparison, um, our circumstances are, are quite different, right? And yet still, we, you know, we experience our own threatening, anxiety-producing, fear-provoking situations and uncertainties that drain the joy out of us, that drains the life out of us. And so whether we're talking about ancient culture or talking about our 21st century culture, in the midst of this stressful thing we call life, holiday season or not, how do we as God's people find and experience the rest he has promised? And here's the deal. I'm not going to stand up here and present some simple recipe. I don't believe one uh, exists. But over the next few weeks, I'd like us to explore some ideas that might help. And the first thing I want to consider is how, how dealing with stress, how, how finding rest and balance in life may begin if and when we learn to view life from an eternal perspective. A perspective that reminds us that today is no accident, tomorrow is no mystery to the one who controls time and space. Uh, it seems to me we could benefit from that. We could benefit from that that perspective in, in several areas of life, really. For example, an eternal perspective helps us in the way we view our relationships. 
It's unfortunate but true. We live in a culture that often elevates uh, the value of things over people. And we expend an awful lot of energy uh, in the pursuit of those things, getting more money, buying more stuff, owning more stuff, and, and that relentless pursuit is stressful. And yet we do it. We all do it. We do it willingly. And sometimes we do it uh, at the expense of, of our relationships. Even though the things we, relentle we relentlessly pursue are temporal, while people are eternal. And I realize that's a pretty basic fact, one that most of us would affirm. However, in our consumer-driven, materialistic culture, it's a fact that tends to get overlooked and forgotten, allowing our priorities to get all out of whack. So I think it's, I think it's vital uh, that we periodically at least reaffirm and remind one another of how our relationships are more important than personal gain and personal satisfaction. And that perspective has a way of lessening the stress of materialism in our life. Now, years ago, when, uh, when our church started to grow, I began getting uh, invitations to speak to different groups at different places, different events, and I'm not gonna lie, it felt nice to be wanted. It felt nice to be invited to speak. It was nice to think that someone thought I had something to say of value. And so I accepted a few of those invitations. But what I learned very quickly was while I would calmly agree to a speaking engagement when asked, four months later, when the time came to actually do it, you know, I, I would get all anxious, worked up, and stressed out. I mean, just really stressed out. The added pressure on my schedule, uh, if there was travel involved, the thought of speaking somewhere I didn't know to people I didn't know, it just got to me. It was ridiculous. And I finally asked myself, dude, what are you doing this for? Why are you doing this to yourself? Is it because the kingdom of God so desperately needs Ray K to speak into it? No. Was it because God was pressuring me to do it? No. Was anyone pressuring me to do it? No. Truth was, I was doing it for me. I was doing it for personal satisfaction and personal gain. It fed my ego, and I got a stipend. People would pay me. But the reality was, it did very little. The whole thing did very little to develop my family or help me in serving our church. And since coming to that realization, uh, my guiding principle over the years you know, toward outside speaking engagements and other events, for that matter, is simple. Unless it benefits my family and this church, in most cases, I'm going to say no. And that decision, for me, this is just for me, that decision is a practical application of internal perspective, one that says my, my relationships with people are more important than my ego and any material benefits I might, that might come my way by being some, some type of itinerant speaker. And it's been a stress reliever for me. I find freedom in focusing on those who are most important in my life, my family, my friends, my church, my colleagues. And it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong on this, but it seems to me that one of the wisest things we can do in life, holiday season or not, is screen our daily decisions through a grid which refuses to allow something that lasts a short while from taking priority uh, over someone who lasts forever. We should never, ever sacrifice the permanent on the altar of the immediate. A friend of mine who was a pastor for over 50 years, in his late 80s, just before he, he died, he, he would say to me, Raymond, his name was Raymond, mine is not, but he would call me Raymond. He would say, Raymond, the only thing you can take to heaven with you is your family and your friends. Don't you ever forget it. And he was right. 
And here's relationships are what's most important. Here's the deal. God has a plan to communicate his love and grace to our world. And that plan is us, the church, you. It's through your relationships that Jesus gets known, that grace is offered, that forgiveness is experienced, that life eternal is granted. So think about that. Think about what that means to see your relationship from that kind of eternal point of view, family, friends, or the people you interact with every day, the office or at school, and allow that perspective to influence the decisions that you make with respect to work, leisure, your investment of time, and your investment of money. What is it going to? Where is it going for? What is it going for? Don't ever, don't ever forget this. Things last only a while. Relationships, especially those we have in Jesus, last forever. And learning to live against the backdrop of that reality impacts the way we view our relationships. At least it should. In the same way, it changes the way we view aging and dying. Uh, as some of you may be aware, medical research um, <clears throat> has and continues to find a very strong and undeniable connection between faith and health. For example, current studies show that people who attend church services at least once a week and who value faith have lower blood pressure and a lower likelihood of strokes, having strokes. Prayer has been found to be an anxiety reducer. Heart patients with no faith affiliations are 14 times more likely to die following surgery. Experts say that having friends is, is good for you. But having friends who share your faith and being in community with those people is even better for your health. And then among our general population, people with spiritual commitments experience much less psychological and emotional stress. It's just science. Dr. Harold Koenig is a professor of psychiatry and behavioral sciences, as well as an associate professor of medicine at Duke University. And in his book titled Medicine, Religion, and Health, Where Science and Spirituality Meet, he reports on how research has found that church membership was the only type of social involvement that predicted greater life satisfaction, health, and happiness. Fascinating, isn't it? Koenig writes, over the past 30 years, a growing and largely unnoticed body of scientific work shows religious belief is medically, socially, psychologically beneficial. And one of, the, one of the important parts of that has to do with the fact that people who have a strong faith in God have less fear of dying. In the Old Testament, David was a guy who had a he had experienced a lot of anxiety and stress in his life, uh, some due to events beyond his control, some as a result of his uh, sinful choices. But at one point in his life, David writes these, these really very famous words. He says, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I.e., I will not fear death. How could David say that? How could anyone say that? Over the past couple of weeks, I gotta tell you, I've seen a lot of suffering and loss. Cancer diagnosis, heart surgeries, unexpected deaths. You know, I recently officiated a memorial service for uh, a dad of, a husband and a dad of two young, young girls. He's 10 years younger than me. And as I walked away from his graveside ceremony, I thanked God for the life that I still have. But I started thinking about how the years are taking their toll. 
A few months ago, uh, I had a strange experience. A few months ago, I woke up one morning, I had this intense chest pain. I mean, like nothing I'd ever experienced before. It was, I was like, what is happening? And so I, w- I went out in the living room. Margie goes, what's the matter with you? You don't look good. I said, I got this pain in my chest. She goes, well, sit down and relax. And so I did, but it, it did not go away. It was just, it was, it was, it was really bad. And so finally, uh, and there's, heart, there's heart, some heart disease in my family. So Margie goes, I'm going to call 911. And I go, no, 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 don't call 911. She goes, I'm just going to call and ask a question. Well, she calls with eight minutes. Uh, I have... I have firefighters and EMTs in my living room all over the place, and they're sticking stuff all over me, wires, they're poking me, prodding me, asking me questions, you know, blowing things up on my arm, and all, all kinds of stuff. And they say, well, they, they say they want me to go to the emergency room with them. I'm like, I don't want to go to the emergency room. No, we, we think you really need to go to the emergency room. I'm like, okay. And then they strap me on the gurney, <laughs> and they take me out of the house, uh, in front of all the neighbors, and they pushed me into the ambulance. And by the time we got down to the end of the road, my wife was already getting calls from neighbors saying, "What's re- what's happening? You know, what's the matter with Ray?" So we go to the we go to the emergency room, and uh, I go through this battery of tests, uh, only to find out that my heart was fine. My heart is absolutely fine. Apparently, I just ate way too much spicy food the night before, and so I was I was suffering uh, a severe case of acid reflux. And when they, come, when they came in and the doctor broke the news to me of how severe I was, the, my situation was, I was really embarrassed by the whole escapade. You know, I was, I was so embarrassed. I said, I'm sorry, man, I'm so embarrassed by this. He goes, don't be embarrassed. It could have been the opposite because the symptoms uh, and the signs are very similar. Don't be embarrassed. But I was. And so we now refer to that experience as my faux heart attack and uh, we joke about it, laugh about it. It's a pretty funny thing. But, but the reality is that at some point along the way, the aging process is going to lead to a real problem for me. And ultimately, one way or another, it's going to lead to the cessation of my physical life. It's true. It's going to happen. It's true for all of us. Young and old alike, we all face the threat and evil reality of death. We can, we can ignore it. We can ignore the reality and go about our lives and not think about it, but it's, it's there. It's, it's true. It's going to happen to all of us. Can we say we fear no evil? Well, as Christians, we can because of God, because of, of what he has promised us in and through Jesus. Remember, Jesus, one day he said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That was a serious question for people in Jesus' day. It's a serious question for us. Do you believe this? You know, the prospect of death for some people is a cause of great stress. And I suppose it should be. It should be because Scripture teaches that people are destined to die once and after that face judgment. And so Jesus was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many and bring salvation, bring rescue, bring forgiveness, bring life. Here's my point. Death is not a period at the end of the sentence of life, but a comma separating the temporal from the eternal. And for those who reject the divine grace and forgiveness offered in Jesus, it's, it's not the grave they should fear so much as what lies beyond it. Righteous judgment and separation. But Jesus promised that those who believe in him will what? They will live even though they die. Do you believe that? Do we believe that? 
If so, then we can say, we fear no evil because through Jesus, through his life, his death, his resurrection, the power of death has been reduced, <clears throat> reduced to a shadow and shadows have no power to hurt us. And so this eternal perspective alters our view of aging and death and uh, as a result, it then also impacts the way we view time. You know, all throughout scripture, again and again and again, we're reminded that time is precious. In the Old Testament, David wrote, he says, Lord, let me know how fleeting my life is. You've made my days a mere hand breath. And a hand breath meant, simply meant the width of your hand. David says, my days are, are this. My days are just this. The span of my years is this. It's nothing before you, the God who is eternal. He says, so everyone is but a breath, even those who seem secure. In the New Testament, James asks his listeners, what is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then you vanish. As many of you know, we, we just finished a series of studies out of Ephesians. It's a letter Paul wrote to the early church. And at one point in the letter, he says to Christians, he says, be very careful how you live, not as unwise, but wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to, to realize what the writers were saying. You know, Paul, James, uh, David, they're all saying the same thing. They're saying that as human beings, life goes by really, really fast. It's slipping away. And therefore, time, as we know it in experience, is perhaps our, the most precious commodity we have. And it's a, it's a commodity we spend every day. I'm reminded of that expenditure whenever I look into a mirror and see how old I'm getting. I'm reminded of it when I see my kids who were once a couple of little rugrats running around the house, but now are out living on their own. One married and soon to be living in New York City, the other living and working in Southern California. How did that happen? Where did all that go? Next month, my wife Marge and I will celebrate our 32nd wedding anniversary. That's crazy. 32 years? Are you kidding me? She's getting old. <laughs> I don't think she's in here. It is. It's crazy. Time is flying by. It's flying by for me. It's flying by for you. It's flying by for all of us. And so often, we, so often we view time as something to which we're entitled and we get agitated over every perceived loss of it. But we can't stop it. John Mayer sings this song, Stop This Train. And at the end of the song he says, we can never stop this train. It's like a locomotive fleeing, flying by us. And that's, we can't stop it. But, but we get upset and agitated in the perceived loss of it. But, but really, look, we're not entitled to anything. We're entitled to nothing. Every day, every minute, every second, every moment we have, every breath that we take is a gift from God. And if we could just learn to see it that way, to appreciate it, to give thanks for it, and then to use it to invest, not just in ourselves, but in others, and in relationships that will last for eternity, to invest in the work of God and the ministry of God, bringing the news of grace to, to as many people as possible. It, it's doing something, investing in something that carries eternal ramifications, and maybe, maybe some of the stress associated with time's passing might be relieved because we're making a lasting spiritual difference. See, learning to view life from an eternal perspective influences us. It influences the way we view our relationships, the way we see aging and death, the way we, we view our time and the use of it. But most importantly, 
at least I think, in my opinion, it forces us to consider the way we view God. You know, uh, somewhere right around uh, 93% of Americans believe in God, and therefore I think it's reasonable to assume that most, if not all of us in this room, believe in him, which is why we're here. But believing in God is one thing. How you view him is another altogether. And let's, let me just tell you, if you view God as some, some distant, cold, capricious, irritated, demanding deity who's just sitting around in heaven, wherever that is, waiting for you to mess up or prove yourself worthy of his love and acceptance by way of self-disciplined morality and rote ceremony, all I can say is there's not a lot of rest and peace to be found in that. There really isn't at all. How do I know? Well, for one, that's, that, that's what was happening in Jesus' day. I mean, that, that was the view. By the first century, Judaism had, had devolved into an outwardly focused, moralistic, performance-driven religious system. It was a system that would tell people, you have to keep the rules. You've got to follow the rituals and the re- regulations perfectly. You've got to do the festivals. You've got to do it all. God is watching. He's keeping score. Don't mess up. If you want his blessing, if you want his favor, you've got to earn it. And that view of God, that approach to God, was spiritually stressful. It was debilitating. It was crushing people. And they were giving up on God. And then Jesus comes along and he says, Come to me, all you who are what? Weary and burdened, crushed by legalism, Come to me, and I will give you rest. I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest. You'll find true rest for your souls because my yoke is easy, my burden is light. You know, the simplicity of Jesus' message was and is both striking and refreshing. I mean, think about it. Jesus didn't come offering people a fourfold path to peace-giving enlightenment like the Buddha did. He didn't lay out five pillars of, of peace to follow and accomplish as Muhammad did. Nor did he come and prescribe 10 ways to relieve your weariness, you know, a kind of self-help philosophy we 21st century Americans are so drawn to. He didn't do any of those things. Unique to anyone else in human history, Jesus comes and simply offers himself as the universal solution to all that burdens us, right? He doesn't say come to the rules, come to the pillars, come to the seminar. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Believe in me. Trust me. I will give you the rest your souls so desperately need. You know, understand the message of Jesus, uh, this, this news of divine forgiveness and rest and eternal life, it was good. It was good news only because it requires nothing of us. As broken, sinful, imperfect human beings, it requires nothing of us except belief, trust. It was good news, not from a distant, capricious, irritated, demanding deity, but news from a God who came near, who lived among us, who sacrificed for us to rescue us, a God of love, a God of grace. It was the good news that a weary and stressed out people desperately needed. It's good news that we need. Make no mistake, how you view God will either add to your stress and anxiety or help relieve it. Perspective is important. 
Maybe you need a new one. Maybe you need an accurate one. In her book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a a World of Worry, Amy Simpson, who happens to be a member of our Parkview family, summarizes the power of perspective quite well, I think. She says, a new perspective can have tremendous transformative power in our lives. Trusting God doesn't require us to deny reality. That's hypocrisy and cowardice. True trust allows us to acknowledge trouble, pain, and danger as we recognize God's great shadow looming over all of it. Therefore, cultivate an eternal perspective. Put today in its proper place. Ask yourself, what does God think is most important here and now where I am? And when you have your answer, focus on that and ask God to help you fulfill your mission in that moment. Your worries may fade in comparison. That's some pretty good advice right there. So listen, I, I've, okay, so I've got to confess something to you guys. I've got to admit this. For me to stand up here and talk about dealing with, with stress and anxiety f- feels a bit weird because, because I've always struggled with those things. I mean, ever since I was, a, I was a little kid, I've been a serious worrier bordering on the neurotic. I mean, right up, right up until this very moment in my personal life, my personal life is at times plagued by panic, anxious thoughts, and feelings. I mean, don't let this cool, calm, James Bond demeanor fool you. <laughs> Seriously. I put the I in anxiety. I have anxieties that have anxieties. Which I guess in a sense makes me an expert. So I guess maybe I should speak about it. But that's true of my personal life. Professionally, well, let me tell you this. As a pastor, the holiday season is a huge anxiety producer and stressor. It's huge. Uh, For example, as a church, every year we provide a free Thanksgiving dinner for hundreds of hundreds of people in our community. Absolutely free. It's for people who have no place to go or who have no resources by which to celebrate. We say, come on in. We're going to have a great time together. And we give them turkey and all the trimmings, all for free. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's a, it's, it's a loving our neighbor type of thing that Jesus would be pleased, pleased with and pleased by. But there's a lot to it. There's a lot that goes behind it. And then Christmas, well... With Christmas comes added programming, elevated expectation, generosity initiatives, bigger crowds, five Christmas Eve services. Christmas Eve, you know, the band and and staff and our volunteers on Christmas Eve, we go from noon, 12 in the afternoon to 12 at night, till midnight. There's a lot of work. And so all that to say is, I I like doing it, but I'm not going to lie, it's really easy to get stressed out over. It really is. And how to deal appropriate, uh, appropriately with the stress and with the anxiety is complicated because we're all so very different. And so there's, there's no simple recipe for any of us. But my hope is that over the next few weeks, that together we can find at least some ways to reduce the stress and the anxiety so that in the approaching holiday season, we might experience a greater sense of peace and rest and balance uh, in our lives and, and, and to be present for family and friends and just not, not miss the intended joy and meaning of it all. And it seems to me that learning to view life from an eternal perspective moves us in that direction. Let's pray. Our Father, we, uh, we recognize that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. A reflection of you, our Creator in your image. 
And yet the image is flawed for us. And because of our rebellion into our relational world, we find tension and stress and anxiety and fear. We are complicated beings, physical, emotional, spiritual, social. And teasing out from all of those things what it is that's causing our anxiety, what it's causing our fear, what's causing the stress is not always easy. Because there's so many, there's so many variables at play. But whatever the cause, Lord, I pray that as we prepare for the holiday season, yeah, it's a few weeks out, but as we prepare for it, would you give us some wisdom? Would you grant us wisdom on how to deal with it effectively? To find a way to really rest in the midst of the chaos and to find the balance that we need that we might be present with you, our God, and with one another and truly celebrate and give thanks for the season. And more specifically, give thanks for you, the God who came near. For that is the message of Christmas, that we didn't have to come find you. You, you came and found us and offer us rest and peace for eternity. We thank you for that this morning. May we each find it. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you guys stand with me? So this week, uh, this week as Donnie and I were talking about the service and we were thinking about how, well, how should we respond to all this? What would be a good way to respond in song? Because worship is revelation and response, right? And uh, it's not just how we sing, it's how we live. But we thought, what can we do? And we, we often sing this song, um, I need you, Lord, or Lord, I need you. And uh, it's a contemporary song. It's a good song. But it's really an adaptation of a great hymn of faith. Now, those of you who know me know I'm not the biggest hymn-y kind of guy. But uh, th- th- we, this is a beautiful, beautiful song that's been around a, a long, long time. And we thought, how appropriate it is for us to sing this and to really, really sing it as a prayer uh, to God because the fact is every moment of our lives we need it. So let's, let's sing this with Donnie. You know, I was thinking this morning, we were saying that in the first service, I thought, if I just started my day singing those words or just saying them, maybe I wouldn't be so anxious. But no, I don't do that. I just jump out of bed and go, you know, and jump into the fray and the chaos and the busyness of life and then wonder why I'm all freaked out. And I don't know if that's your experience. I'm guessing it is, but... Um, So maybe together we can learn a little bit over the next few weeks of how we can curb that and deal with it more appropriately so that we can really experience the rest that God wants for us, especially in the holidays. Uh, Maybe you're here today and you're you're experiencing a high level of of stress and anxiety for various reasons in life, maybe situational, relational, whatever. Some of our prayer team folks will be down in the front. They're happy to talk with you and pray for you. Also, just just to let you know, the two books I quoted... Uh, by Shona Nyquist, uh, per, uh, Present Over Perfect, and then Anxious by Amy uh, Simpson are both at the Resource Center. If you're interested, they're good books. We'll be quoting them off and on throughout the series. But we just want to make them available to you, okay? Come back next week. We're going to continue on, see what we can learn together. In the meantime, let me pray for you. Have a great week. Let's pray. And now, Lord, I ask that as we, as we enter back into the world, as the church leaves this building, may we go with a, may a renewed sense of rest, and a different view of life 
there's so much more to it than just running like crazy around, but, but there's an eternal perspective to it all. May we live our lives with that in view. And may we live in such a way we point people to Jesus. Now may your hand of grace and peace rest on your church. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week.